And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. Anthony Anthony Scaramucci was like a shooting star in the night skies of Washington uh, last summer. He was appointed on July 21st as White House Communications Director, played bumper cars with many of the central figures in the Trump administration at that time, and then found himself bounced out by the new chief of staff, John Kelly. The Mooch, as he's known by his friends, is very much like the man he served. He is a pugnacious New Yorker who gives as good as he gets and knows how to make good copy. I sat down with him last week when he was visiting the University of Chicago, and we talked about his experiences and some of the turmoil in the White House today. Anthony Scaramucci, good to see you again yeah, here it's, on the campus of the University of Chicago. It, it's it's great to be here. There'll be no bets for me uh, yes. this year. I lost a bet to you five years ago. For a good uh, cause. It was, it was for, for a good, good cause. cause. For epilepsy a, research. You've done an amazing job. My wife's foundation, Cure. You've done an amazing job. You know, I, I shaved my mustache. Thank you. Thank you. I yeah. shouldn't cut you off when you're being so No, so no, gracious. I'm saying you've done an amazing job. You've raised the... Uh, the awareness, uh, and you're going to get us to a cure. So God Thank bless you. you. Happy Thank to, you. Yeah. Happy to lose that bet. So a side light to that whole thing was I shaved my mustache off, as you know, to raise money for epilepsy. You contributed to that. Um, and I got seven steps away from that, and my wife turned to me and said, I always hated that thing anyway. She said, keep it off. It's 33 <laughs> years into our marriage. So I was right, well, let me wondering what else she she's hadn't giving, told me. But She's giving you good feedback. <laughs> yeah, know? that's good. She always go, does. You don't have to go to your social media page to get the feedback. <laughs> exactly. Like me. So um, I, I want to, you, you know, there's the, Andy Warhol talked about, you know, the 15 minutes of fame. Yeah. Uh, you had like 15 days or something 11, like that. 11. But okay. I but love who, you because you're like the first person to say, like to actually exaggerate it to the other. Everyone <laughs> says everybody says 10 days. This it really is hurts the, my feelings. I feel like all good treatment here. Of, why chip me out of that 11th day? But let's go with 15. We can have. We it treat in, our guests we can, well here. A lot I of politicians have days. an imaginary moment. So uh, yeah, I was in 15 but, days in the White but House. I want to talk. Uh, there's plenty to talk about about what's going on now. But I want to yeah. talk first about uh, about you and your family and. Yep. Uh, because I know you're really proud of it, of your family, and mm-hmm. um, we both have immigrant stories. But tell tell me about yours. Well, I mean, the my immigrant story is uh, probably traditional to a lot of Italian Americans. Uh, my grandfather came here from my mother my, my mother's side in actually 1895. Uh, was uh, um, it was actually an, I mean it's a weird thing. My great grandfather came in 1895. My grandfather was born here in the United States. He lived the first seven years of his life in the U.S. and then moved back to Italy. So he mm. was a U.S. citizen by mm-hmm. birth. My grandmother, uh, the one I was the closest to, she was she came here at the age of 18 in 1923, and she started out as a housemaid. And so uh, I've never forgotten that. And so every time I'm in a hotel room or any place, I make sure that I leave an extra tip. I think that, you know, this person is obviously or could be somebody's grandmother or could be somebody's mom. Um, So uh, we came from humble family. Uh, Nobody went to college. Uh, The only person in my family at my generational level, and so my mom and dad are from 10, you know, my my dad's from a family of seven, my mom's from a family of three. Mm-hmm. Those 10 people went on to marry 10 people and they made 40 people. And so of those 40, you know, cousins and siblings and so forth, only two of us went to college. Only one of us went to law school. So I come from That would a, be you. That would be me. Yes. And I, I, I come from a hardworking so it'll be blue collar, middle your, class and your, family. The, your grandfather Scaramucci yes. came over around 1920 or so. Is that? Yeah. So yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to let me bifurcate him. So my mom's side, uh, father was born here, moved back to Italy. Uh, her mom came at the age of 18 to be a maid. My on my father's side, both of his both of the parents married in Italy. My dad's parent, you know, parents. Yeah. They moved to the United States, and they went in the wrong direction. They went into the uh, northeastern coal mining area of scranton Wilkesbury, where Joe Biden is from, mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton is from. The interesting thing about Secretary Clinton is when I hear her voice on TV, it makes me think of my Aunt Eleanor. They have the exact same northeastern Pennsylvanian accent. You know, she was raised there. I so hope you treated Eleanor better. 
But, hey, look, I never said a bad thing about her. <laughs> okay, go back and check. I, okay. I like talking about policy. I never attack anybody personally. Um, I obviously have disagreements with people on policy. Sure. But, you know, you, you may remember this. I'm close to uh, uh, Valerie Jarrett. You know, she's been to my conference. Um, yeah. Obviously. Uh, As have I. Robert Wolf, yourself. Yeah. I mean, my so, thing is I, I think we got to figure out a way to bring this thing together. So I, I, I don't like throwing eggs and tomatoes at people personally. Yeah. Not to say, that I, a lot of that, not to say that I haven't gotten some hits personally, but that's okay. Um, the reason I asked you about all that history, though, yeah. it, it's interesting. And I want to get to the Long Island part of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, you know, I mentioned my father was an immigrant, too. He came over in 1922, so about the same time. Yeah. And um, rough time for immigrants, by the way. It, you know, it, was, it uh, was. Nina, you know, no Italian, Nina Pillai. Right. Uh, my grandparents couldn't find any work. Right. So this current debate about immigration, um, I mean, my feelings about it are sort of informed by my own family's experience and the fact that, you know, um, my father was a refugee from Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, And, you know, the reason I so love this country is because he was able to come here, find a life, serve his country and so on. Um, And as you point out, there were a lot of people who didn't want people from Eastern Europe. They didn't want people from Italy. They didn't no, want uh, no question. And uh, they, in fact, quotas were set up a few years after your grandfather arrived and my father arrived. So how do, how does that? How do you process this debate today? Because it seems to me that some these immigrant families who are coming from other places. Uh, Today are are are, are oh, listen, counterparts I, to you know, to who our families I mean, this were. Is, this is the thing about our politics right now. I mean, again, for me, I, and maybe you've been able to find this, but I haven't. Uh, where I haven't identified the politician that has the same political fingerprint as me, where every single item in every category lines up both vertically and horizontally. So if you ask me about uh, marriage equality as an example, you may or may not remember this, but Chad Griffin and I are very yeah, close. Yeah, I do remember, yeah. I'm a very big sponsor of the uh, human rights campaign. I was uh, part of the initiative in New York State to bring marriage equality uh, mm-hmm. uh, to the Republican side. We got those four senators to vote on that. Uh, I, I gave money for the Proposition 8 thing in the Supreme Court. Yeah, no, I, and so, Anthony, so when you go, I, I when understand you go over, When you go over the whole categories of everything, um, I'm in this hodgepodge where I probably don't fit into any political party bucket. But specifically on Im- immigration, I stand with 86 or 87 percent of the country that wants a resolution and what I would call a positive resolution on what we call the dreamers or um, what, 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 however you want to define yeah. uh, the people that are in this limbo period. And so I stand with them. Um, when you talk about specifically related to immigration in the country today, 2018 versus 1918 or ni- 1923, when my folks got here, or my grandparents, um, I would say obviously the country is very different. Um, there's a tremendous amount of anxiety in this country right now. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of economic desperation, even though these employment data numbers look okay and the jobs numbers look better and the wages look better, the mm-hmm. middle class and the lower middle class has lost ground, David. I mean, I got yeah. trained as an economist, and so I can look through the data and I can tell you that. Um, but I will say something else I think is very important for your podcast people because you probably get a lot of Republicans on here, but we all have different opinions. So I'll, I'll share with you my opinion. I missed something that I should have seen. And so I want to tell your listeners what it was. Ready? Yeah. I missed what happened in my neighborhood that I grew up in. And so just quickly on my neighborhood, my dad started as an hourly worker. He eventually got himself a desk job. But he worked for Port Washington. In Port Washington. He worked Island. forty he worked forty two years for the same company. It was called Gotham Sand and Stone. And so not to give everybody a geology lesson, but I'll talk quickly Long Island is a glacial deposit. And so as the Ice Age receded and the glacier went back up to the North Pole, it left remnants. It it crushed the Catskills, which were taller than the Himalayas. And it left Long Island. It left Block Island, the elbow of Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket, as it headed back up to the North Pole. On Long I gotta, Island— I got to get to 2018, so advance the story. Yeah, here, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway— uh, you got all the sand in the world on Long Island that built all of those skyscrapers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so those immigrants did that. Yes. And they came in droves. 
those jobs were high-paying jobs. If you price my father's job today, 45 years later, his real purchasing power is down 35%. So the point I'm making is that I went to Harvard Law School. I went up the spire of the economic elites. I confirmed all of my biases with rich people at places like Goldman Sachs and the salons of the Republican Party. And it wasn't until I joined the Trump campaign and I ended up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I crossed the Secret Service security line, took my uh, day pin off, walked through the line. Why are you here? And people were starting to talk to me. I said, oh, my God, I'm talking to the people I grew up with. I'm talking to the people in my neighborhood that are struggling. There were only two candidates that saw in 2016 that struggle. That was Bernard Sanders and Donald J. Trump. The other 17 or 18 candidates didn't see it. I I get all that. Just to get back to the question I asked you, though, you know, I find it— No, but that's why there's there's an immigration issue, because those people that are already here in the country are so worried about their jobs— you're asking me. Uh, you're asking me my opinion. That, that's been the case I every time. There's every time okay, there's but, been anti-immigrant but all, but all, sentiment. All that's I'm, been the case. All I'm for me specifically, if it's about Trump or any of these other people, all I'm for is a process of legal immigration and a process where we continue the American spirit of having waves of immigrants come to the country and assimilate themselves into the country. But I don't think any of us should be for quote unquote illegal immigration. I think that I don't that's, think anybody is for illegal that's, immigration. That's a dangerous but, thing but, for but a country the, the, that but, has a, a, but a I look around, a safety net. You know, all of the plans for comprehensive immigration reform w- penalize people who uh, would penalize, the ones that have been voted on in Congress would penalize people for coming to this country illegally, uh, would put them at the back of the line for any sort of citizenship, so nobody who came uh, legally would, would be disadvantaged. Um, but the thing that I, the the reason I, I I bring it up is because I find the rhetoric, the sort of depiction of immigrants. I, I look at these people, some who um, some here who may be here undocumented, uh, some who uh, many who aren't, uh, who who are here legally, I should say. Um, but these are like hardworking folks who are doing. You know, really, really, and off, oftentimes you know, jobs that a lot of other people don't want to do, certainly not, not the jobs your father would not, do. Not, not, and, not, and, not going to get any pushback from me. I'm just trying to explain to you where I the, know. I, I, I thoroughly you, agree with you. Where the but we can is. either, we can either um, uh, have a reasoned discussion about immigration, not you and me, but as a country, or we can appeal to people's uh, biases on this. Mm-hmm. And, it, and as a son of an immigrant, Mm-hmm. Uh, and knowing the rhetoric that was used about your family and my family, I very much hey, David, feel— David, the rhetoric is still used about my family, okay? How many people—you're named the White House Communications Director. Seth Meyers is calling you a human pinky ring on national television. If I was African-American, is he going to call me a human piece of fried chicken? There's no way he's going to do that, okay? So so I'm, uh, Jim Tan and Laundry descends on the White House. Tony Goomba takes over the press shop. Um, you know, the, the the last bastion of attack um, ethnicity is with the Italian-Americans. And by the way, every Italian-American knows that. Chris Cuomo yells at me, says, don't bring it up to anybody because nobody cares. You yeah. Know? So I, well, I, but I mean, the I, things I, the I, president I, yeah. is not engaging in anti-Italian slurs, but he arguably is engaging in anti-Hispanic uh, slurs when he suggests that the bulk of these people – Infers implies that the bulk yeah. of these folks who are here are somehow yeah. associated with MS thirteen. Uh, yeah. So, you know. so so have you? Uh, do you know anything about MS thirteen? Have you? Do you I do. In, do you I live do. in an area? Do you, do you live in an area where MS thirteen exists? I do. I know. No, no MS thirteen is not as active. It's a town here. of poor Washington that you reference. Yeah, I understand. Where I, I but Anthony, they do not represent the bulk of immigrants. They certainly don't well, represent I, don't, these, don't they don't ep- represent these DACA kids. So why should that be no, invoked in a way as to imply that no. those DACA kids are somehow oh, 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 a manifestation okay, that, of that? That's why this is going to be a fun podcast, because we obviously are going to see this thing very differently. I, I listen to the president very carefully, um, and a lot of things that he does I dislike. I've told him that. I've said it on television. I'm not a pure botanical Trump apologist. 
These guys want to have a military parade. I think that's a ridiculous thing to do. And if someone asked me about it, you asked me, I'll tell you a hundred reasons why that's a ridiculous thing for us to do. So, you know, I'm not well, give a, me the I'm top not, two as long as the you're top. Ready. The top two is uh, speak softly and carry a big stick. Number one, we can Teddy go back Roosevelt. to Teddy Roosevelt yes. on the way we should think about mm-hmm. the world. And number two, uh, the United States, other than the unilateral decision to go into Iraq in 2003, has primarily been a counterpuncher, which is what the president himself calls himself. He says he's a counterpuncher. So when you're rolling tanks and doing la-la stuff like that, uh, it's too boisterous. We don't need to be doing that yeah, as a nation. I agree. And so I totally disagree. I Use agree. the money and, and give it to the uh, veterans in a different way. You want to celebrate the veterans? I want to celebrate the veterans. I love the veterans. I've been to Iraq on troop support missions. I've been to Afghanistan on troop yeah. support missions. Just don't do that. Yeah. So I'm not a puritanical yeah. Trump. Well, that's apologist. why we have parades okay. on Memorial Day. Mazel Tov. By yeah. the way, the Gulf War One parade in that's in not New York. Italian. That's not Italian. Now, no, but I'm now you're, now you're Jewish, signifying to me. I grew, grew up in a group, Jewish neighborhood. <laughs> I know a lot about. It. I know. I know that there's between a Shagets and a Shiks, and not a lot. Of, <laughs> not a lot of Italians know that difference. Okay, but but here. Here's what I'm just saying. I was at the Gulf War ticker tape parade on Wall Street when I was 27 years old after mm-hmm. Gulf War One. I. I got that. That made sense. There was a reason to celebrate the troops coming home, and we want to make sure that they feel comforted. But we don't have any reason to be doing a military parade right now, yeah. and so I disagree with it. So I'm not a so, puritanical Trump apologist, but on immigration – I have really listened to what the president has said, and I do feel that they surgically remove some of the things that he says. Uh, I've heard him say over and over again in one campaign stop after the next, sir, that he's, he's four waves and waves of immigration. I've heard him say that, uh, you know, he did say that line that the Mexicans don't give us their best. I understand that, and that's been blown out to mean he means all Mexicans. He's, he's walked that back a hundred times. No one will but listen to that. But he walks it forward again as well. Hey, like I said, the Charlottesville thing, I totally disagreed with. Uh, George Stephanopoulos asked me about that on his show. I said, hey, there's no – anybody that understands the rise of Nazi Germany and anybody that has, has done any research on the Holocaust, which I did a uh, – when I was at Harvard Law School, I took a course at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy on what the Roosevelt administration's response was yeah. to the Holocaust. Anybody that understands Not the Holocaust – not good. He's, yes. he's embarrassing, actually. Right. Embarrassing. But you know what? There was a lot of, you know. I mean, but you, you know, know what? We should, we should, People argue well. The politics, a lot of, Jews the politics in that administration of immigration that, were not good then. That not, was one of the things not, that not, was at play. And, and yeah. you know. So, so but, but again, my opinion is probably different from the president's. I want legal immigration. I want a ton of people assimilating into the country. I have no problem with any race, color, or creed, or sexual orientation. I've lived my life like that. I've got five beautiful children that I've pressed that on very hard. Um, but if you're making the point that there is tension in the immigration and the rhetoric I'm making the point is stylized for not We should not caricature immigrants. I, I think the rhetoric is stylized poorly, okay? But mm-hmm. I think we can, if we calm ourselves down, we can get to the right decision. And if you go to the 55-minute open where he called the cabinet room the studio god bless him he says you know the 55 minute uh we're talking about the bill of love yeah well you go to that scenario okay um you you all of a sudden get a window into how the guy really thinks and then what ends up happening to you one of the reasons why i have a strong dislike for what's going on in our society right now special interest groups intercede and they tug on our candidates they tug on our elected officials and they bring them to points of view where the bell curve of the population, the bell curve of the electorate is not in that category. And so the louder voices, the ones that screech the most, David, have a higher weighting with our elected officials and our candidates. And I, I would really like to encourage people listening to your podcast or people here at the University of Chicago, get up, end your apathy, and speak out and speak well, out for what you think the is Institute sensible. Of politics, our whole okay, yeah. mission here is Let's to encourage people to be involved because, across because, the political because spectrum. Let me, let me say this to you. Somebody asked me this at Columbia yesterday. What would I do? You know, term limits, blah, blah, all this stuff. No, there's one thing I would do, okay? Just do what Australia does, mandatory voting. Mm-hmm. You will totally change the landscape. A lot of these politicians don't want that because once you mandatorily vote, you've now homogenized the electorate, and now the product has well, to change. I'm, I'm, I, I, product I has to change. It becomes a less a extreme product. Um, I these guys will never do that, though, because they like hanging on to power. Okay? It's a you're group right, of sickening though, people, about, by and large. You're right about the loudest voices uh, 
getting the most attention. And some would argue that's why the that was one of the president's great insights is that he knew how to command the media because he knew how to sort of light himself on fire. Now, how's he doing in the media? How do you think he's doing in the media? I don't think uh, I think he is doing well on the media that his base listens to. I think he's doing very well with that group. Um, I, I think the media is doing its job, which is to scrutinize him. Uh, because, well, I, I mean, I, mean, I, 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 mean, I, I sat I in the White House. I didn't love I the media coverage all the time I myself. Don't, I don't think he's doing well with the media. If, if uh, you know, look, we're going we're gonna to have an objective conversation. Yeah. He's obviously not doing well with the media. Maybe there's a sliver of the media that he's doing well with, but there's a way that he could be doing way better. With well, the media. I agree with that. You and I you both, know, uh, you and I both agree with that. But I, but what I you will can't say is, war he you, could you not in the White House longer than the media. You think it's a good idea to declare no, war uh, on the media? One hundred percent not. And you said that when you do. got there in your eleven days. Uh, now that you've corrected me, your yeah. eleven days not, as well, communications it was director. Nine hundred and fifty-four thousand seconds. We could use that too. I tried to get the that's Wall Street Journal. You can. Yeah, that's great. You probably have it. Divide it up in many different ways. Well, you got to do uh, that. You know, it, helps, it, makes, it makes you feel you're better. You're good about with the, the math. Whole, but, you feel uh, better about I, the whole I agree. fiasco. I, 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 I thoroughly agree. My only point is that had that it was that instinct that that also allowed him to win that Republican nomination because he completely dominated the coverage. Now, you were with several other candidates who didn't make it mm-hmm. because he was like in technicolor. And they were in black and white. And uh, so, you know, but, but maybe but, he learned the wrong lesson okay, but, from it. But something else was going on, too, which I just want to point out to everybody. The American people are fed up with the nonsense. Uh, and, and maybe the establishment American people aren't. But I'm talking about the people that I grew up with, the guys that I grew up with in my neighbor didn't go to college. They're out clamming. They're Bay Shoremen. Or the people in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where the factories have gotten closed down and moved to old Mexico and they're driving around uh, delivering Domino's pizza, they don't like the rhetoric anymore. They don't like the sanitized politician. They no, don't I understand. like that stuff. I understand, no, and so I think that right that's in. his... He tapped that, right that, into that. He, he understood He's a that. smack-mouth politician. He's the first shock jock to be the president of the United States. Yeah, fair enough. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Anthony Scaramucci. Back on your story for... Mm-hmm. For for uh, a second, so Port Washington, yeah, working class uh, community, a lot of Italian Americans there, a lot yeah. of Italian immigrants. Big came mix, there. though, David, because like uh, the um, F. Scott Fitzgerald book, The Great Gatsby, uh, East Egg is actually the peninsula of Port Washington. The tip is Sands Point. It's, it was loaded with Gatsby style large mansions. Uh, like every community, you didn't live in one of those. I didn't. Like every community, uh, they had a very middle class, smaller housed enclave. However, I lived in the middle class. I would never dishonor or disrespect my dad's work ethic by telling you we grew up poor. We did not grow up poor. We mm-hmm. had Sears tough skins. We were taking air conditioners in and out of the windows. We had macaroni on Sundays. Uh, I never felt in want for anything. Yeah, uh, we no, had. I a feel budget. the same way. I grew up in a housing. Development. Yeah, we had and a budget. I, I felt you know, the you same way. had a budget. You know, I mean, it was a great, it was a great American upbringing, and we also believed in the aspirational society. But most of the people I grew up with now are in a desperational situation, uh, and less of an aspirational one. It was uh, that was the time of the Margiata machine, and yeah, remember NASA. Joe? I remember yeah. Joe. Yeah, yeah. Joe went to jail for you know you, you you get guys on mail fraud and tax evasion, Al Capone, and this great city, boom. Joe, they got Joe on mail fraud. I remember when he went down. Joe was the most powerful guy in the area. And so people say you may have been the most powerful Republican in the state. Yeah, he introduced me to Ronald Reagan. I was the president of my high school. I had pimples on my forehead. I was wearing a 100 percent polyester suit. And I walked into the Plaza Hotel because Jolt and Joe Margiata took a group of us uh, high school presidents to meet Ronald Reagan. And I'll never forget the meeting because they were protesting outside the Plaza Hotel for the arm, you know, the nuclear arms race. And Joe said, how are you taking all this stuff? And Reagan just looked at him and said, hey, if you're in this game, you got to just slough it off. You can't, you can't worry about it. He said, like a water off a ducks, you know what? And so, so Jolton, Joe uh, Margiata— Said that in your presence? Said it in my presence. And, and Reagan said that in my presence. I'll never forget it because I was so impressionable at that time. But Margiata— Did you share that story with the president? 
Um, that's a good I, one. He, 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 I, he should hear that story. I have shared that. So that's interesting said because I have shared that story with the president. And uh, by the way, I've had to tell that story to myself <laughs> after listening to people on CNN or even Fox or looking at my Twitter feed, which I've stopped looking at. But but here's what I would say to you, okay, about Margiotta. It was very interesting. People say to me, well, your dad was in a union. Yes, he was. Well, why was he a Republican? Joe Margiotta. He right. controlled the whole area. Right. You also, uh, one, another thing we have in common is the Mets. I got to tell you, I'm very impressed fan. that you know who Joe Margiotta is. Though. I'm very yeah, impressed man, by I, that. That's, I that's my thing. You right. know, I'm a, right. I'm a political junkie. He was, I mean, he made Al D'Amato. You know that, right? Yeah, I, mean, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Mets. The, the Mets, yeah. Yeah, although you're a, you're, you're a few years younger than me, so you missed the run-up to that 69 yeah. uh, World Series. But I remember them winning it, but I was too young. I was about six at the time. Yeah, so my coming of age in baseball when I was seven years old and the Mets just started in New York. My father had been a New York Giants fan. Yeah, there you go. And, uh, and so we... We adopted the Mets, and they were bad. Yeah, they, they were really bad. Yeah, they were. The, they had uh, some players named Pumpsy Green and Choo Choo sure. Coleman and sure. marvelous Marv Throneberry, who yeah. who was the only guy I think who ever hit several extra base hits in a they, game and missed lost first base each time and get called out. They lost 120 they were games. The portrait of ineptitude. They played in the Polo Grounds that first yeah. year. Yeah, and uh, yeah, but I got see. This is the greatest part of like America, right? My, the American dream. I used to deliver newspapers, Long Island Newsday. On a Wednesday after I collected the money, I would take the Long Island Railroad to Shea Stadium by myself, and I'd keep score of the game. And I used to play something called Stratomatic Baseball. Yeah, I, I remember Stratomatic, that. Okay, so yeah. I happen to own Stratomatic Baseball now with the family that developed it, and I bought a piece of the New York Mets in 2011. And so that's how I got to know the Ricketts family so well because of the uh, owner's you know, galas and networking and all that other stuff. So, I mean, it's an amazing, if you said to me, you know, growing up in my neighborhood, uh, doing what I did as a kid, uh, wearing gold chains, having horns in my car, having a power booster on my Camaro, doing push-ups in the back of of a parking lot, uh, going into a disco, Okay, you used to do like 50 push-ups just to get your chest a little pumped up, okay? Yes. I feel and like then, I've walked into Saturday Night Fever yeah, here. But, right, there you go. And yeah. my hair was blown back like Tony Monero. And then to go from that into the Harvard Law School, shedding my 100% polyester for like real natural fiber and converting all of that into a Goldman Sachs experience, building two hedge funds, and then the improbable story of working in the White House. Hey, man, it's a great country. Yeah, it is a great country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you uh, at Harvard Law School. One of your classmates was Barack Obama. He was two years behind me. Yeah, yeah. So he was there. I'm not one of these uh, revisionist historians where I tell you I knew him very well. But we used to play Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, hoops in the Hemingway Gym. So all all the gym rats knew each other. He was a first year student when I was a third year student. But my best Barack Obama story is in 2007. He came to the University Club. You may not remember this. I supported him, and I bundled yeah, I for do, him. Yeah, I do remember. And so I walked into the university club. There were seven or eight of us from law school, then Senator Obama from your great state of Illinois. Uh, we were handing him checks. I turned to him. I said, Senator, I said, you know, we didn't really know each other that well in law school, but I'm about to write you a big check. I said, can I lie to my friends and tell them that we knew each other? He laughed. He didn't miss a beat. He said, hey, if you double the amount of the check, we could take it back to Hawaii. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> yeah. That was his personality. I mean, look, he's got a great personality. Yes. And, so, and by the way, I did. I doubled the amount of the check. And I went out and bundled for him because I said to myself, you know, I'm a Republican. Um, I thought he was a moderate voice. Uh, he had a lot of common sense. Uh, he ran an – I mean, you guys, you know, congratulations. You guys ran an amazing campaign. Um, and uh, I thought he was going to break a lot of different things. He was a Jackie Robinson of American politics, and I thought he was going to you know, make the world better. And, and by the way, a lot of things he did I agree with. We can talk about what they are. Some of the things he did I uh, very strongly didn't agree with. Well, one of the things you obviously didn't like was you felt he was too rough on, on Wall Street, that his language was too rough on Wall Street. He's tough on Wall Street. I know we, we got into it a little bit at the CNN town hall meeting at the museum. Tough that, on was Wall your, that was like a that was like a breakthrough moment for you. 
Yeah, it, looking back, yeah, but I wasn't, I wasn't really trying to. You challenged to, you know, him on the- It was interesting because I really wasn't even trying to challenge him. You know, I was just trying to say, hey, there is historical, if you study economic history, there's a historical nexus between Main Street and Wall Street. And even though Wall Street is currently dysfunctional, and it gets dysfunctional every 80 or so years, if you go back to 1907, 1929, the Panic of 1887, I couldn't get all that into the question, but- I, I was just trying to say that there's a nexus between both of those, and so let's not be hard on each other. There's a blame to yeah, go all but around. Anthony, you know what? Uh, from where I was sitting, yeah, um, he stuck his neck out to make sure that the financial system didn't collapse. He ex- he expanded the TARP, which was unpopular on the left and the right. And those people who you so uh, so passionately advocate for were pissed. Because uh, because they felt like he was bailing out Wall Street, and that's how he was attacked. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, and I don't think he liked the fact that he so, was in that had to be in that position, but me, he did what he thought okay, was so let responsible. Me, let me make it. Let me make an observation for everybody, and this has really changed my thinking. And that situation happened eight years ago, if you could believe that. Um, eight years ago, I was a spectator in the stands. Oh, today, I've been run over on the field. Okay, And so what ends up happening is when you go from being a spectator in the stands to being run over on the field, you get a lot softer and you have more appreciation for everybody that's on the field yeah, with you. No, so I always say I'm that. Just, I'm just being honest that. with you. So if I, I – but, but the truth of the matter is as it related to President Obama at that moment, this is a stupid part of that whole thing. I actually thought I was giving him a layup where he was going to say, yeah, we've got to bring Main Street and Wall Street together. But I didn't really – I didn't size up the political zeitgeist at the time. Mm-hmm. And so he came back at me with what he said. And uh, and then, you know, I, I teased my friends. I said, you know, when are you going to stop whacking Wall Street with the Pinazzi? You probably shouldn't use the word whack as an Italian-American on live TV in front of the president. But that's fine. Look, I mean, the truth of the matter is I respect him. Uh, I think he's a great American. Um, you've never heard me say anything bad about him. I mean, we 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 ran against him with Governor Romney. We can talk about Governor Romney in a second. Mm-hmm. I've returned to my Republican roots for one base reason, and that was in 2009. Uh, the president and the team and Steve Ratner, et cetera, made a decision to abrogate 800 years of commercial contract law where they divided up the assets of then General Motors and they gave a big slice of it to the unions. And now you could say, well, that was very good politics. It worked out. Uh, General Motors is flourishing and all that other stuff. But at that time, because of the financial crisis, uh, uh, making a decision like that to move the ball on commercial contract law, where I can tell you that some of the best things about our country, immigration is one of the greatest things, but the real great thing about our country is the stability and the predictability and the enforcement of our court system and our laws. That's what really has made the country flourish, where we've been able to, if you read, you know, uh, you know, Poverty of Nations, you know, uh, Wealth and Poverty of Nations, you know, Landis's book, yeah. South America is in a disaster zone. No, listen, North I'm America, a big believer in our, I'm you know, so, a big believer so in our I, I rule like of law, that. institutions. Oh, I mean, that's oh, one of my Look, concerns right he's now. He's a good dude. I like him. I uh, no, but, respect but, him. Uh, uh, you know, I don't have any We problem. can talk about the the auto bailout and what would have happened if he hadn't intervened on behalf of uh, General Motors and Chrysler. No, I was but, for the bailout. I just wasn't – I didn't like the way they, they recut the deck on the bottle. Let me ask all. you a different question. After um, I left the administration, one of the first speeches or appearances I made was at a conference that you run, the SALT conference. And I remember mm-hmm. it very distinctly because I think uh, Bethany McLean was the... She was interviewing. Yeah, she was great. The, and it was she a, lives it, here it was in great Chicago. discussion. She does. She worked as me does Ken Sachs. Griffin, who's a, a friend who was on the... Ken's great And guy. Ken was a, also an Obama supporter who, who ultimately and made clear on that platform. Yeah. But his big complaint was too much debt, too many, too many deficits. I, I don't like that we've, got, you know, he's, he's, he's added to the, the, the mm-hmm. debt. Yeah. The, and he and I got into an argument because I said, you leave one thing out of the narrative, which is the greatest financial crisis since the Great Depression mm-hmm. and uh, an economic uh, downturn. And we needed we actually needed the jolt mm-hmm. in our economy. I only raise this now because we've got we've had this tax bill that uh, the CBO says mm-hmm. uh, would add significantly mm-hmm. to the debt. And now 
Congress is about to vote on a spending uh, bill that would add three hundred billion, and you know there was a reason that those that spending had to happen then because we were in the depths of this recession, and economists were pretty clear that we needed that jolt. We're not in a recession now, and you saw what happened on Wall Street today as we sit here. There's real concern about interest rates, and part of it is this debt issue. So what happened here? And So, I mean, you, you, I, I probably have a tendency to give long-winded answers. I guess, well, that's because, all right. I got uh, even I, I, by I, asking you a long-winded yeah, question. Yeah, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say it in less than two minutes. So Dick Dorman, we, we, Ronald Reagan, we spend guns and butter. We blow out the Soviet Union. We've got a, a massive out-of-control deficit spending as a percentage of GDP. Dick Dorman goes to George Herbert Walker Bush and says, we've got to put pay-as-you-go legislation in place to protect the, uh, the Congress and protect everybody. So a reminder of pay-as-you-go for your listeners. If we're going to have a tax cut, we're going to have a concomitant cut in military, social spending, et cetera. If we're going to raise social services right, right. in the military, mm-hmm. concomitantly have a, ta- right. a tax increase. So one of the best decisions that President William Jefferson Clinton made in March of 1993 was to adhere to the pay-as-you-go legislation that was created by Dick Dorman and George Robert Walker Bush. Why is this important? 2000, we're running a $238 billion surplus, last surplus right. we ran, the right. one prior to that, 1969. So now we're running the surplus, and, and if Gore won, he was going to put the surplus into infrastructure, and if Bush won, he was going to put it into tax cuts. So the real spending president, ultimately, the great irony, was the conservative George W. Bush. So he blew the hole in the system. So Obama, President Obama came in and played off of the same playbook. So these guys tacked on $13 trillion of debt. Yeah, but Anthony— Let me just finish because okay. it's important to make this point. They, yeah. they tacked on $13 trillion of debt in eight years. I think that the, the tax cut was necessary— because you've got to make the American corporations more competitive globally if you want to bring these corporations into the country. But you're making the point it's 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 not that. And why 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 is so, why is so that, debt bad when we needed to society, when the country was in desperate shape? I mean, the fact you, is that Obama under the Obama years the, the deficit came down by two thirds. David, you got to split the debt. There's credit card debt where you're spending on things like uh, uh, programs that are consumption in their orientation. And well, then, well, well how about the three hundred? How about the three hundred billion debt. that that they're voting on right now? I mean, the, the, the adding of $300 yeah, billion to yeah. the debt, so, so, to trillions so, that they're So, I mean, you know, my, my opinion of the whole thing is that uh, we are completely out of whack. My opinion of the whole thing is this group is focused too much on left and right and not right or wrong. My opinion on the thing is if you got a group of people here from the University of Chicago and said, drop your politics, here's how we got to put the tax code together, and we've got to get to – you're not going to get there today, but we got to get to by 2028 – a deficit-neutral program in the United States so that we can start paying down this debt so that the standard of living for our people 15 or 20 years from now doesn't continue to go down. So they're not doing that. So so the Republicans got hold of it. Um, I don't like the deficit spending. I think deficit spending is unfunded tax liability for future generations. So if you were sitting in Congress, so, would you vote for it right now? Well, the good news is I'm not sitting in Congress. And if I was sitting there, I would probably take, Rand, probably take Rand Paul's approach to it. Uh, which is you wouldn't vote for it. Uh, yeah, because I would say this is a disaster long term. This is going to be a disaster. And you know what we should do? Rather than play the game of political expediency and be focused on a news cycle and sound bites and let's see if we can win today's news cycle, why don't we do something really good? Let, do you me, think let me throw that the, a question back do, to do, you. Well, in a second, but do you yeah. think that the markets, uh, it, it is a fair. Uh, thing to say that the markets uh, today are reacting negatively to yeah, the, the, the additional the, the, debt. I think the markets are reacting to some of the personnel stuff that's going on inside the White House. I think they're a little worried about that. Okay, and I think the market is worried about the uh, forward tax plan and the forward deficit spending. Because if you're telling me I'm going from 35 to 21. I just got a 40% reduction in my corporate tax, which means if I'm a good CEO, I can print 50% increase in my EPS, which is why the market went up 30%. So now the market's correcting. It's correcting because it went up too quickly. That's a residual reversal. But it's also correcting because people are saying, okay, wait a minute. Um, what about plan, inflation, interest plan, rates? Some of that's in there, and but not a lot of that, to be honest, because if you look at historical trends, uh, the 10-year is still below 3%. 
Um, and so you don't you don't really have that. You know, the weird thing about the world right now, you still have a specter of deflation going on in the world. You still have quantitative easing going on in Europe, even though we're raising, other countries are easing. It's been a pretty robust year for the global economy. It's though. been a robust year, but you still have deflation. And the reason mm-hmm. why you have deflation is that you have excess labor around the world. You have excess factory capacity. And you still have two and a half million homes in the United States that are underwater relative to the to yeah. the Great Recession. So, so remember, deflation is the Darth Vader death star sitting outside the Earth's atmosphere that can laser into the Earth and blow the Earth to smithereens. And and most average <laughs> Americans don't understand deflation. But you're, you know why why is deflation you're, you're, so you're, bad, you're, David? You're 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 bumming out my. Uh... But why is deflation so bad? Well. I don't want to. I don't want to have this. Dis- well, it has to do with debt. You were talking no, I, about no, that. No, I no, I understand that. So that's but, why. Uh, but here, there's so much that we need to get to, and okay. I don't want to go all CNBC on everybody. Yeah, I, no, just no, my no, main look, question you know was: I can go in any direction be, you want, but I'm I know, that the, I, I know that deflation is a huge yeah. thing because you could carry all. All I'm debt, saying is, if you are concerned about debt, I mean, there was a there was a. There was a straight-faced argument for spending in the when we're, the economy was shrinking by eight point nine percent. If you can, if you can oppose it, then on the grounds of not adding to the death and the def and 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 blowing up deficits, how do you how do you justify it now? Okay, you're talking about again. This is me talking. It's not the. I mean, you already answered it, which you said you you don't agree with. I it. don't agree with it. Okay. Right, I don't agree with it right now. But here's what I agree with. Okay, the the principal focus of our policymakers should be. Growth, uber alles. Okay, debt. Okay, if it's managed properly, coincident to growth, we'll be just fine. We had 105 percent debt to GDP coming out of World War II. We never paid that debt back. We just happened to miraculously grow the economy by quantum's after World War II. So the percentage of the debt that we were carrying on our balance sheet relative to our GDP was okay. Where I applaud the Obama administration and. Uh, Chairman Bernanke and that whole team, and I, I would also give Hank Paulson some credit mm-hmm, to be mm-hmm. fair, yes. is that they looked at the situation and said, okay, if we don't correct the situation, we're going to go to a massive global depression and likely a third world war. So let's get the debt level up to where it was at World War II to protect us from doing that. They did that. I give them huge credit for it. So and, where then, we are, and then they brought the debt down as a they did. towards, towards the end they did towards yes. the end they did but they was still it's still too okay. high it's still we got to take a break we'll be right back the rent is too high the debt is, the, the debt is too high you know it's just too high you mentioned Mitt Romney before he's mm-hmm. talking about running for the senate apparently he's going mm-hmm. to announce in the coming week yeah uh you supportive of that Listen, I love Governor Romney. I'm very supportive of Governor Romney, but I would like the civil war to end in the party. Okay, the party is split between never Trumpers, sometimes Trumpers, and always Trumpers. And so he's been kind of a never Trumper. He's probably a never Trumper. You know, I would that keep you from uh, writing a check for him this time? Uh, no, I would write a check. You know, if Spencer called me as five, I would write, write a check for Governor Romney. I like Governor Romney. I'm about people, David. I like people. I wrote a check for Barack Obama in 2000. I like him as a guy. I, I would write a check to Governor Romney. But I would say to Governor Romney, not that he would listen to me, but I would say to Governor Romney, you know, let's figure out a way to get on the same team. We're all wearing the same jersey. Um, and let's 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 try to advance an agenda that's positive for all of the American people, not just the people that are in our party. We talked about the 11 days you were in yeah. the White House. It culminated with the appointment of General Kelly as the chief mm-hmm. of staff. He, yeah. he called you in yeah. and dismissed you. Yeah. Um, what do you make of what's going on now? Uh with this uh, Rob it, Porter situation, you know, listen, and should, I, if, if if General Kelly had knowledge of what had ha- what was in this guy's background, should he not have should he not have had the Scaramucci conversation with him? Well, listen, you know, I know Rob. I'm surprised to hear about uh, all the stuff related to him. Uh, he treated me very fairly, Rob Porter, uh, staff secretary. Th- he's he's staff the- secretary. I thought, uh, you know, listen, I've. 
You've never heard me, nor will you ever, ever hear me say a bad thing about General Kelly. Uh, he fired me like a gentleman. I took it like a gentleman. I walked out graciously. Uh, I've said to people publicly, I deserve to be fired because I got caught on what I thought was off the record, and the kid decided he was going to put it on the record. My fault. Uh, I own Ryan it. Ryan Lizza of the New Yorker. Yeah, I, I own it. He's not at the New Yorker anymore. He got fired because he's a loser, but I, I own it. And, I, thought you don't, and so, I, th- I thought you don't say unkind words about anybody. No, no, I didn't say I don't say unkind words about anybody. I said that I'll call balls and strikes as I see them. I said I won't say anything unkind about General Kelly because he treated me fairly, and he decided to make a decision to fire me, and the president backed him up. And so to say, Levy, you serve, as you know, these are tough jobs. The president's got a tough job. Kelly's got a tough job. You serve at their discretion and leisure. If it was time time in on January, uh, July 21st, time out on July 31st, no problem. I say very bad words about Reince Priebus. Yeah, I say well, you very, did in that interview. I say, was, I say very bad words about Steve why do you Bannon. Say, why do you say bad because words I about call, them? Because I call balls and shots. No, I understand. I, I understand. But tell me specifically. They're, they're, they're horrific guys. They're bad guys. They represent... Uh, they are avatars for what people hate about Washington. They represent that. They are dishonest. They're mischievous. They're leakers. Um, they do things that uh, the American people would be aghast at if you said, my God, that's how these people operate. What are they doing? They're here to serve me. I'm not here to serve them. I'm, I'm, uh, we, we, we put Steve this Bannon over. would say he's he's the guy who's, uh, who's Steve, been waging Steve, war on well, listen, I mean, the we, Washington we, we establishment. Talk about Steve. Steve Bannon is a liar. He's a messianic figure. He's a nihilist. Uh, he hurt the president. He did exact. Take my expletives out of what I said six, eight months ago. I built two companies. I was the Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year in 2011. I know how to evaluate talent. I, I, I told the president, this guy only cares about himself. He only cares about his brand. Okay, and he actually really believes, like the whole Liar and Furious book. You know, I call it Liar and Furious because. Wolf is a liar and Bannon is furious, liar and furious. It's just a bunch of jokes. I mean, it was just a nonsensical, not uh, a fiction book in a nonfiction category. But Bannon really thought that this was going to be his coming out party where you were going to get Trumpism without Trump. And he was telling people that Trump is an empty vessel and he is the puppet master of Trump and Trump is just his hand puppet. This guy's a complete loser. I mean, you know, I mean, so I have no problem. And I you think bad he, things about people when it's true. I have do you no think problem. he's blown himself up me. completely or will he be ushered no, back into the- America. You know, F. Scott Fitzgerald, we were talking about him earlier, okay? He said there are no second acts in America. It was something he got way wrong. This is America. People people come back from everything uh, in America. Uh, but know, so I'm asking about Donald J. Trump, not F. J. Scott Fitzgerald. Do well, you think well, that well, he well, would— Well, Trump let him back in. Yes. I don't yeah. think so. No, because, you know, Trump is really on to him now. Trump, uh, President Trump knows that this guy's a joke. You know, and he knows he's a dishonest dude. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. talk, how much do you talk to the president? Not, not much. I'm not. That's the other thing I love about these guys. I talk to the president 20 times a week. I mean, of course he doesn't do that. I mean, is there anybody that tells you that they're in their outside of the White House, particularly in the Kelly regime, that they're talking regularly to the president or big time fibbers. I don't talk to the president much. We, I think the last time we talked was after the Bannon fiasco unfolded, where he said to me, hey, man, you were right. I need some help. I go out back on TV. So I said, no problem, sir. I'll go back on TV. So back on the Kelly. Uh, That's on probably the Ke- a month ago, Dave. On the Kelly matter. Uh, so Porter has these allegations against him by both his ex-wives mm-hmm. um and uh the fbi apparently knew that mm-hmm. uh he never got security you weren't there long enough to get your security clearance he's been no, there no, for I, I 18 a, months no i had a security clearance because you have to remember i got the opl job oh so yes, what, these, yeah. what these guys yeah, did to me right. is the president named me for the for, opl job and then they did their washington okay so you trips. had it but he has okay, it had he the, was on, he, he did not have permanent security clearance, and yet he was the guy who was closest to the president in terms of handling all of the uh, correspondence. Well, listen, I, Should, I, shouldn't he have been... I, shouldn't I'm, he? I'm have, not, I can't imagine in the White House I served or in like any said, White I, House I, I that a guy to, would have that, that a guy would sit there without his I, clearance I have, and who had those I'm allegations. Happy, I'm happy to call balls and strikes, but I got to sit behind the plate and see the pitches coming in. You know, In this situation, I don't, I don't really actually know what happened. Um, I know he's saying that the thing isn't true. It certainly looks true. If that was he resigned. My, okay, if that was my daughter. He resigned. Okay, if that was my daughter. You I saw mean, the this, pictures. I did see the pictures. So if that was my daughter, this guy would have a hard time with me. 
I mean, I just let you know that. Okay. So, so, so for me, I'm not saying physically, but I would sue him. I would go after him. You're not allowed to do that to somebody. That's a, that's a horrific thing. So, but I, I didn't say he did it. We both are saying that it's allegations, but I wasn't there. So I can't, I can't call the pitches. You know, I don't know what General Kelly knew about the situation. I don't know when he got the briefing on it, didn't get the briefing on it. Raj said today from the press podium that General Kelly learned the full extent of this thing on Tuesday. Do you yeah, believe no, that? No, so you worked, no, you worked no in the White House. Do you believe that? I think if if uh, there was a reason why his clearance was held up for 18 months. Okay, so so then so then this is what I would say, um, because we both know this, because I'm looking at all these beautiful books on your uh, bookshelf here. The cover-up is always worse than the crime. I would say, geez, you know, I knew about it. I was going to give the guy a pass because he told me it wasn't true. And I apologize to the American people for that. He's been let go. Uh, and I'd still like to keep my job. That's what I would do if I was General Kelly. Uh, but what I wouldn't do if I was General Kelly is say, geez, you know, I didn't know about it when I knew about it or try to cover it up because what ends up happening, we're in a society right now. I have a movie studio. I have a radio studio. I have a television studio right here in my hand. See it? And so we're in a society now where everyone's going to find Scaramucci out anything anyway. holding up his cell phone for yeah. those of you who yeah, but, but, but that's can't. It. So, so that's me. You know, yeah. So I, I, don't, I think it's a very bad idea. We're almost in a fully transparent society now, like in David Egger's book, The Circle. So to me, you know, this is why I have a fan base with the millennials. They're like, all right, this dude is at least telling me the truth. Right. He's coming right at me. One, one of the questions related down, to this. I, I, Apparently Hope Hicks, and I guess everyone's yeah. acknowledged this now, has, a, has had a relationship with Rob Porter. Maybe you knew that when you you were there, um, mm-hmm. and she apparently helped prepare some of these statements. Mm-hmm. Is that appropriate? Okay, so here's what I would say. I don't know if it is appropriate or if it's not appropriate, but it's human. That's what I would say about that. And what I would also say about hope is that you have to remember, I mean, people say I was only there for 11 days, but I actually worked on the campaign uh, and in and outside the White House for almost two years now. It took a big toll on me professionally, politically, and personally. And I would say that it has done that to hope. And she's a phenomenal person. And I would back up hope. In any day, well, let me way, ask you a different way. Since the, so, since everyone, so I don't know since, if it's appropriate, since apparently or not appropriate her but it's human. Their not give her a pass on it. How's that? Was, I, I, I appreciate that as a it. as a friend. Yeah. I, I hear mm-hmm. you as a friend. Mm-hmm. So let me take it out of the realm of her. If you were the chief of staff and you knew they had a relationship, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say, you know what, you should not really be involved in crafting our response to this because you have an obvious conflict? Yeah. Um, Maybe I would be smart enough to do that. Maybe I would be more human and maybe not do that. I actually don't know. But here's what I do know. And I really believe this, okay, Uh, that she's a very good person. Um, She's been very, very uh, loyal to the president. She loves the country. Uh, There have been bad actors inside that White House. That I know for certain, okay? I witnessed it, okay? And she's not one of them. And so what I would do is I would be giving her – you know, a pass on certain things because you're not going to get everything right in these situations. You know that, and I know that, okay? Now, General Kelly's a different situation. You'd have to tell me honestly, did General Kelly know? If he knew, then he's got to come out and say, listen, I knew, I apologize for knowing, and then the president has to make a decision uh, if he wants him on his team or not, okay? The kid that was the cornerback on uh, the, the Patriots, the kid Baker. I, I can't remember the kid's name, but he, he, he got sat. He sat in the uh, Super Bowl. He was the kid that caught Russell Wilson's yes, interception. Yes, and you know the kid I'm talking yes, about, yes. right? So the question is, is Bill Belichick benching Tom Brady? If, he, if, if Tom Brady's got booze and chicks in the room and he's got a little drugs in the room with him, it's 4 a.m. before the Super Bowl. No, is, man, he benching, about Tom Brady. is he benching Tom Brady? Uh, no. Okay, so the question is, is is General Kelly Tom Brady? Because if he's Tom Brady— Or is Bill—the other question is, is Bill Belichick president of the United States? Well, well my, my point is, one guy gets benched. This is the way the world works, the way human beings work, okay? So you one think Kelly's benched, too valuable to maybe, be like a— I don't know. I don't have—look, the, the bad news for me, obviously, this is something that Petraeus— you know, General Campbell, when I visited him in Afghanistan, I, the day I got fired— General Campbell sent me a text, a five, you know, four-star general. He says, hey, the Army still has your back, okay? If General Kelly knew me for the guy that I am, he would have handed me a bar of soap. He would have said, go wash him out. That was soap and get back on the field. You're a very good advocate for the president, okay? 
That's all. And I would have worked underneath him. I didn't need to report directly to the president. The reason I was reporting directly to the president is that the president wanted me to get in there and fire some people for him. Okay, And I made a mistake of handling it the way a entrepreneur would and the way a CEO would and not a slick Washingtonian political operative. And so well, but I own that. Well, well no what problem. you did was you said some nasty stuff about uh, those guys off the record. Isn't that what slick Washington people do? Not at all. I said that stuff directly to their faces. Hold on a second. Yeah. You think you know me now? How many years you know me? Four, well, five, yeah. six years. Yeah. You don't think I said that directly to Bannon and and uh, and Priebus's face to their face in in Priebus's office? That's different though than job? telling saying, saying to a reporter. But let me ask you this. No, well, I mean, you're, but you know, hold on a second. There, there is really is no difference. I, I, you're saying I didn't go behind their backs. Hey, guys, this is how I feel about you. So when I come into a room and someone asks me how I feel about you. That's what I'm no, going to say. No, when I ask you how you feel about me, it's one thing. When you go to a reporter and tell them how you feel about me, it seems like a different thing, right? I don't think so. If if if, if uh, what's your name? Zane. Zane. Zane is our engineer. All right, so Zane is the engineer. Zane, if he leaves the room and you ask me what I think about him, I'm going to tell you exactly what I think about him. And by the way, if he's in the room or out of the room, I'm going to say the same damn thing. How about that, Zane? You like that, Zane? How old are you? Sounds good to me. How, yeah, and Zane, 26 you, year olds it, it, like that. The question is, would Zane then go and publish that? Yeah, uh, so so Zane could have the right to publish that because we don't really know each other. But the Ryan Lizzie family goes back 50 years with the Scaramucci family on Long Island. 50 years, Frank Lizzie knows my dad. And the families know each other and we go to the same restaurants. Although the Lizzie's are not allowed into the Italian restaurants that I'm not allowed into anymore. But, but, you know, so he goes and does that. That's like Italian on Italian crime. He's allowed to do it. I made a mistake. I own it. But like Howie Kurtz said, the guy from Media Buzz, he'd never seen anybody do that to a White House official in 40 years as a journalist. So we know he broke the bands uh-huh. of human behavior. But by the way, people do talk the way I talk, David. Imagine that. People do do no, talk I, that way. Okay? Uh, no, I, I know. May, I, know, you know I may do. have some smack talk in my personality, but I don't smack anybody. Let me ask a big you. Distinction let, let, there, right? let me ask you in just in the few minutes we okay. have left here. You didn't support, as I mentioned before, you didn't support Donald Trump on the first try in 2016, the second try, or the third try. You explained. No, the third try I did. On yeah. the third try. Yeah, I was okay, Walker, but you were you, Trump. but you were, but you were. Uh, it's fair to say you were skeptical about him in your comments. That and, was more and, than fair. I didn't think he was going to do it. I sat in his office the day after. The, by the way, I, him and I go back. I liked the guy. I didn't think he was a politician. The day after The Apprentice ended, whatever that day was, you can Google it. Mm-hmm. I'm having breakfast with him. He says he's running for president. I said, you're nuts. You're not running for president. No, no, no. I'm running for president. I said, no, you're not. He said, no, I just hired this guy, Corey Lewandowski. He's downstairs. I, that was my last television appearance on The Apprentice. I said, dude, I've been in your apartment. It's four times the size of the White House residence. You're not going to run for president. I've been on your plane. You want to carry the press around with you on the plane? You're not going to run for president. I was wrong. He was right. And then he said, I want you to support me. I said, well, I can't do that. But your I'm criticism wasn't of just about whether he would win. You, you were critical of him. At, you didn't see him in that role. That's unfair. He was criticizing the hedge fund community. He was criticizing my industry and my lifeblood. And so on Fox and Friends at 7.15 in the morning, he was ripping into the hedge fund industry. At 7.29 on Fox Business, Maria Bartiromo turned to me and said, well, what do you think of his ripping into the hedge fund industry? And for three minutes, I responded. That's what New Yorkers do to each other. Okay. And so, hey, it was three minutes of my life. You're going to hit me. I'm going to hit you back. It's no problem. I'm ready for the fight, David. I know how to fight. I'm a good guy, but I'm not the best guy. Okay, if you're going to hit me, I'm going to hit you back. So what do you know about him now that you I'm going to hit you straight. I'm not going to do what Ryan Priebus does, go behind your back and try to rip you in front of reporters in this surreptitious way for 13 months. But that's what you did, isn't it, to Ryan? It's just just categorically not correct. You see, this is the distinction between you and me. I told them to their face the same way if if you leave. I see what you're saying is it's okay that you leaked it because you also told them. Told them to their face. If you you want to say to me, hey, Mooch, hey, Mooch, I hate your guts, Mooch. And now you're going to go out to the Wall Street Journal and say you hate my guts. Mazel, God bless you. But don't say Richie Cunningham, howdy doody, I love you, Mooch, and then run out to the Wall Street Journal and tell them that you hate so my what guts. So what, 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 what have you learned? Zane is even nodding here, ladies and gentlemen. Zane, the 26-year-old millennial, is like shaking his head and saying, hey, this guy's right. He's right he, about this. He, he's just uh, no, he's, 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 he's just cordial he's to all no, our no, guests. Yeah, yeah. 
That's most of see, our guests. You see, you're catching a little bit of that partisanship in um, Axelrod. No, there. no, hey, no, no, on. no. Keep yeah, going. Why? Why? Because, because I because you're, you're I'm trying to draw I'm, a distinction about being a straight shooter and a and a guy that will play it straight. No, I'm just in, saying. I'm just in saying private that, or not private, no, I'm just, and a guy that tells lies. All I'm saying I'm is not, that that was a Washington kind of thing to do to talk to a reporter totally and sort of dime people out. Totally, it wasn't diamond him out. I was taking him out. It's totally different. <laughs> okay. Totally different. We're no. going to disagree right. about that. No, that's okay. Agreeably disagree. So tell me in uh, in, in in thirty seconds, which I figure will be pro uh, elongated, but I'm giving you a goal. Uh, what you learned about what you've learned about Trump that you didn't know when you were when you were doubtful about him. Mm, heart's in the right place. Uh, really does want to do a great job for the American people. Uh, definitely the things he said before the state, state of the Union, I saw, I remember having dinner with him in the residence and something came up and he was really triply thinking about it. And he's like, you know, and then he, and he said before the State of the Union, hey, man, I'm making decisions now. It's not about like dollars and cents. These are like millions of people's lives are at stake. And so he, his heart's in the right place. Do you think uh, that there are people there who are willing to tell him what he needs to hear? Um, yes, I think so. But I think that the, <laughs> the problem— powerful the, response there. Yeah, but I'm being honest. I mean, I think that here's the problem with the president, okay? The problem with the president, he's now the president, right? So here's what happens, okay? Yeah, Everybody takes a little pill, and it's like an obsequious pill. We could call it something else, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to be polite. And then they go in there with knee pads on, and then they talk to him in a way where they probably shouldn't be talking to him. So— it's very hard. Okay, you've been in the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. I will confess to you that the first time I walked into the Oval Office, my heart was like pounding through my chest. And then I turned to the president. I said, I guess I ask you, you're sitting behind that desk. The first time you did it, was your heart pounding through your chest? Because my heart is pounding through my chest. He was pretty honest. He said, actually, you know, the first couple of days, yeah, I was like worked up. And then I realized I got so much work to do. He said something interesting, which makes him very human to me. The, the first guy that came in, the first state visit, I can't remember who the guy was, he's standing in the front portico. And now the guy's coming out of the, out of the limo. And the president's opening the door, you know, to, to usher him into that, you know, the, that yeah. the crosswalk there. Right? There, there, are people, there are people there to do that. Yeah, well, whatever. You know, he's yeah. he's helping him do that yeah. or whatever right. it is. You know, this is the president telling yeah. the story. But, you, you okay, we'll, we'll, yeah, go, go ahead, we'll go be ahead, as go precise ahead. as possible. No, as no, 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 with no, him. no. Okay. But he then it dawns on him, oh, my God, I'm the president of the United States. I'm walking into the White House with this head of state. And then he said, and then what happens to you is you start to recognize that it's a job. It's an office. you got to get the job done. And, and by the way, by the fifth or sixth day, David— I did start feeling that, but I have to also confess to you, I still had the heartbeat racing. Yeah. By the 11th, did it settle down? I, I will tell you, every time so I walked bit, into that building, a little bit. Not, I, not, felt, not, I, felt, not. I felt a sense of uh, yeah. history. No question. Yeah. No question. No, I, I said a little so anyway, bit, but not, so not a lot. So the bottom line Maybe is— Maybe if I stayed 15 you, days, you, you, it would have settled down a little bit, but I doubt it. So uh, there are people—they uh, take the obsequious pill— Mm-hmm. I guess my question is, you, you pride yourself on being blunt. You pride mm-hmm. yourself on being a New Yorker. Yeah. I grew up in New York. I took a half of an obsequious pill. All right. And but- I basically looked at him. I said, hey, how do you want me to talk to you, by the way? You want me to talk to you like these other guys with the sir, 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 and Mr. President? Or do you want me to talk to you like a New Yorker and a friend like I used to? And then he said, no, 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 like a friend. And then I still couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. That's the honest thing, right? So I took a half an obsequious pill, and I tried to play it straight. There were a couple of things that I disagreed with, and I don't mind saying it now because it's six months later. But, you know, the tweeting at uh, uh, Attorney General Sessions, he was wickedly upset about the whole recusal thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, look, man, it's not going to go well if he resigns. we got to keep the keep the people together, keep the boat rowing in the same direction, you know. And, and I could have said it more directly and more bluntly. But he's the president of the United States, and so maybe it was three quarters of an obsequious pill. But I mean, <laughs> the you point were, is, if it's you very were his hard. lawyer, you're a lawyer. If you were yeah, yeah. Harvard Law School, you, mm-hmm. you've said that. If you were his lawyer, would you have him testify so you gotta, or, or, or appear so, with, so before I the said, special counsel? I said on George Stephanopoulos's case, you know, again mm-hmm. from the stands that I wouldn't. But now I've got to know a little bit more about the complexity of the case, so I'm a little bit closer to the field. Here's what I would say. If uh, I don't know where Mueller's going, but if Mueller, my prediction is Mueller's not going towards collusion because I didn't see any and I really believe that there isn't any. It's not to say that they didn't tamper with the election. I'm just saying our campaign didn't collude with them. 
Um, so therefore, we know you're a lawyer or not. No. Okay, so the distinction is obstruction of justice. Even if you didn't commit the crime, if you tried to block somebody finding out the facts, that's obstruction of justice. And so that's probably the direction he's going in. And so now I'd have to leave on the table the president of the United States testifying because I would need to prove to the special prosecutor and the people working for him. state of mind was. Yes, and I'd have to prove to him that there was no mens rea, no malice, no criminal intent, and I'd have to prove cooperation. So I think that the lawyers that are, quote, unquote, talking to the New York Times saying that they're telling them not to testify are probably not the real lawyers. I think the real lawyers are saying, okay, we got to leave this on the table because we want to make sure that the special prosecutor knows that it was never the president's intent to obstruct justice. And uh, just the last thing, because you said no collusion, and that hasn't been, we don't know what the outcome of all that could be. No, but, no, I'm predicting but why that. did those That's guys, Bannon, uh, Jared Kushner, um, Manafort. No, I don't think uh, Bannon, Bannon was involved oh, no, no, in the campaign. Not no, Bannon, it was, not it was Bannon. Manafort, uh, Don Jr., DJT Don Jr., Jr. and Kushner. Right. Why, why did... Um, why I mean, did they look, meet with someone who said, we've got dirt on Hillary Clinton, Russian operatives who had... Well, shoot. look, you know, I was there. That was part of my 11-day experience where the president said, you know, a lot of people would have taken that meeting. He was trying to back up his son. Here's what I would say about that meeting. And again, trying to be as candid as possible. We were moving at warp speed. Uh, we were outspent two to one. We were outmanned, I think, 1.6 to, to one on the other side. It was a, sort of a miracle that we won. And I think we we probably didn't have um, – I think we were probably just moving too quickly. I think they realized that the meeting was probably you know, a dud of a meeting and not the right thing to do. And I think the meeting ended quickly. Um, somebody asked me the other day, well, would you, meaning me, would I have taken the meeting? And I don't know the answer, David. So I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, I definitely wouldn't take the meeting because I don't know the answer. What I do know is that it was an entrepreneurial campaign – I am an entrepreneur. I've made a phone book of mistakes in my life. I probably made half of a phone book of mistakes in the 11 days that I was in the White House, maybe three quarters of a phone book. And so it was obviously a mistake. It depends on what city. But yeah, but it was right. a mistake. It yeah. was a mistake. I, yeah. I, I, think, I, think, I think they shouldn't have taken the meeting, but they took the meeting. But I don't think that means they were colluding. Anthony Scaramucci, you, uh, we could go on forever. You're an impressive guy. I mean, you're, I mean it's tough interviews. Yes, yeah, I'm sure. Very, yeah, you look very, very, very tough, man. You look, you look very brutal. depleted here. It's great in to all, be, in great all, to be in, all, in all honesty, I get an enormous amount of respect Thank for you. you. You're a great American. Thank and you. let's face it, in 100 years, uh, President Obama broke the color barriers. He's a Jackie Robinson of American politics, and you were the offensive coordinator there. So you deserve your Super Bowl well, run for well, that. God bless you. I, I appreciate it. I, let, got on let's the, move the, I got on the right team. Let's I move the country it. forward. And hopefully, even though we ideologically differ on some things, maybe we can figure out ways to make the country work better. All right. Thanks. Amen. The Mooch. Anthony Scaramucci. God bless. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, part of the CNN Podcast Network. For more episodes of The Axe Files, visit cnn.com slash podcast and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. And for more programming from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics, visit politics.uchicago.edu. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.